This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. Thank you. If you are able, will you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Our text reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter six, verses one through six. And if you are following along in one of the Blue Church Bibles, it can be found on page 816. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, CRC. Um, I'm Pastor John, and I have the privilege of pastoring Coopersville Reformed Church. So welcome. Thank you for being here, and thank you for those who are visiting us online as well. Some of y'all have grown up in this area all of your lives. Um, I know that because when I met many of you, one of the first questions you asked me is, so John, where did you grow up? And then I usually respond back, okay, I grew up just south Chicago, about 45 minutes south. Well, where did you grow up? And I find out that a lot of y'all actually have grown up in this area. And some of y'all can still remember when you would walk around your community and school and someone would say to you, aren't you the son or daughter of so-and-so? Isn't so-and-so your mom or dad, or, or, or isn't so-and-so your brother or sister? You, you can remember that perhaps. For some of us, we, we may have loved that, right? But for others of us, we almost maybe just wanted to blurt out, my name's John, okay? I have my own identity. I'm my own person. Nice to meet you, all right? I remember personally loving it in high school when others would would come up to me. I remember just coming in as a freshman in high school and someone would come up to me and they'd say, hey Matt, aren't you Schultz's little brother? And Schultz was my my brother's nickname. His last name was Schultz. Even though mine was Heinz, we had different fathers. And 
I remember just being like, yeah, yeah, that's my big bro. So when I was a freshman in high school, my brother uh, had just graduated. He was five years older than me, four grades ahead of me. And so when I was coming in as a freshman, he had just graduated. So his name meant something. This is actually a picture of me, him, and our mom. Uh, as you can see in this picture, I quickly became his uh, little big bro uh, really fast. Uh, so he's about 20 there. I'm about 15. And I, I started catching up real quick in height. And, and I remember loving it once again when people would say, aren't you Schultz's little bro? Because my brother's name held weight. It meant something. But over time, the, the question started shifting uh, from aren't you Schultz's little bro to aren't you from the trailer park? Aren't you from Birch's? And there came certain connotations with that in the area that we grew up in because it was a pretty affluent area surrounding, but we were in this fairly large trailer park. And I remember when people would say that, it almost made me feel less than. And it started to take a toll on my identity. Here's a photo of actually the place we grew up in. We took much better care of it than that, but this is actually what it looks like today when I was in Illinois just a couple months ago uh, that I just like to drive by um, just to remember my, my upbringing and, and just drive by the area in which I would cause a lot of trouble. Um, it was almost as if when people saw me for a particular season, the lens in which I felt that they were looking at me through was that. And it, and it bothered me. It was hard for me. Aren't you John who lives or grew up in Birch's trailer park? And I, I wanna be very clear, I love my neighborhood. I love my upbringing. You don't realize the blood, sweat and tears my mother went through to, to provide a roof over our heads. And I'm very grateful for all of it. And, and as I look back, I despise none of it. I love the process. And some of you may be able to relate with that. But what I really wanted to say when, when people would bring that up, and you know, kids can be cruel, right? We're teenagers, we're 15, 16, 17 years old. We can be a pretty cruel, cruel bunch. But what I really wanted to say was that doesn't define who I am. And I felt like as a young person growing up, just trying to find my way in life, that, that others were bringing dishonor on my name because of where I grew up. And, and if I can be real with you, I was probably also bringing dishonor on my name just by the way I lived. And so I wasn't helping my own cause either in my early life, but it didn't sit well with me. And I really wanted to just tell people, hi, my name is John. I'm proud of my upbringing. I'm proud of the culture that I'm a part of and the people who I've gotten to connect with throughout the process. I long to take what I learned from the culture that I was shaped by and I plan to make an honorable impact on others moving forward by the grace of God. I am marked by him. I'm not marked by where I grew up. And so fast forwarding, a lot of things happen from about 18 years old to mid-30s, younger 30s, God sends us here to Coopersville. And a lot has transpired. Gave my life to Jesus at 17. God just began to just 
fill me with the spirit. And, and I began teaching the word of God. It was awesome. Youth for Christ, all of that fun stuff. And I got to meet some people and I got to experience some things over time. And then he sends me here and my family here. And I get to be friends with y'all, which y'all are pretty cool to be friends with. And so I quickly started to ask about the, the history of this church. And I realized this church has some history, over 160 years of history, a couple burned buildings, uh, but, but we're here now. And like almost any church with 160 plus years of long history, a lot of it is awesome. Y'all know a lot of it. And some of it, let's just be real, we'd like to move on from it, okay? I quickly started finding out those who were maybe around their teenage years to early 40s. When people ask them, where do you go to church? It was hard for them to say Coopersville Reform. And I started digging a little bit. So well, what's, what's the reason for that? Why is it hard for you? to say Coopersville Reform. I found out that there was a variety of reasons for those who have attended this church for most or all of their lives and why they were struggling to say with great joy in public places, this is my church, that church on the corner in Randall. That's my church. Coopersville Reform, that's, that's my home church. And as I talked with some, all of the reasons for why some in their teens to maybe their 40s, the reasons seemed to all point to one term, and that term was culture. Culture. Culture, and specifically church culture, is more caught than taught, okay? It's more perceived than anything else. I mean, you can feel culture. You, you can't spell culture out. You can't put culture on a wall in a mission statement. Culture is something that you just feel when you walk into a church. It's the atmosphere, one person says, in which the church functions. It is the prevalent attitude. It is the collage of spoken and unspoken messages. Culture is a beautiful thing, but it is also a difficult thing. And so in this series, this is a long buildup to what this series is going to look like over the next four to five weeks. In this series, we are going to talk about topics that pertain to church and culture. But I want you to know that if we want to continue having a church and a church culture that people can be proud to say, this is my church that generations, both young and old and everywhere in between can be proud to say, that's my church. Coopersville Reformed Church is my church. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take not simply us focusing on the church, but more so us focusing on our own hearts, our hearts. So in this teaching text today, we see that Jesus is returning from his hometown in Nazareth. It wasn't where he was born, but it is where he grew up in Nazareth. We see that as people are receiving him, they're hearing him teach in the synagogues and they're like, man, this guy teaches with power. But as they start to do a little background check where you've grown up, 
Okay, who's your mom, dad? Okay. Who's your sibling? Okay. It's just some ordinary dude. I mean, he's teaching with great power, but things aren't adding up. I mean, he's a carpenter. He, he worked on the coffee table in our home for pennies to the dollar. His mom, Mary, we call her Ordinary Mary. She's just an ordinary girl. His brothers, sisters, man, my, my, my brother got in a scuffle with his brother just the other day. You cannot tell me that this guy is anything special or anything that should cause great reputation. And in Mark 3, 21, it says that even his own family thought he was out of his mind. Then Jesus says this after returning to his hometown and our sister Heather, our discipleship director, just read it in Mark 6, 4. It said, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Today, we're gonna have a talk about honor. And specifically, we're gonna look at what it, what it means to have a culture of honor. Once again, first and foremost within us. First and foremost within us personally. What, what is honor? What is dishonor? Dishonor is to treat as common or ordinary, in short. To treat as common or ordinary. Honor is to value, to respect, to highly esteem. That, that is honor in the original Greek. When we have a culture of honor, first and foremost, in our hearts, we want to be quick to esteem others. We want to treat others as people who were created with a purpose to build them up, to cherish them, and to believe the best in others. This is what it means, perhaps, to have a culture of honor in our hearts. I love watching a young man as he's dating, and he's in the early stages in particular, of dating a young woman. You can just see honor in his eyes. I mean, he's head over heels. He is just being just drug along, you know. Oh man, this is great. I just love witnessing that. He's opening up car doors. He's taking off his blazer, putting it over puddles like he's seen in the old time movies. He's opening up restaurant doors. He's, he's making sure he's paying for the bill. He's flipping the bill. There, there is a clear sense that this young man honors the company in which he is with. And it's beautiful. But over time, what can happen, right? Over time, all of a sudden, it, it can get longer, the relationship, and we can go from dating to being engaged and now being married. And, and it can be easy for some of us men kind of lose that sense of honor that we had towards our significant other now. We've been married maybe five, 10, 20, 30 plus years, and all of a sudden it's like we come home and we're, oh, what's for dinner, babe? What's she doing around here? You know, we're just walking around and just all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. That wasn't something that was happening 30 years ago. That wasn't something that happened when we were day. What, what is this? We're coming home late, maybe in places we shouldn't be for too long and maybe having one too many and starting to 
perhaps take advantage of the person that we once honored, and we once adored, and we once reverenced and respected. I got a friend, though, who leads in such an exemplary manner in this. They've been married 20 plus years. And this friend of mine, I hear stories specifically from his wife. I hear stories from his wife that this friend of mine will go as far as he's showing honor to, to put toothpaste on her toothbrush in the morning before she gets up. Now for some of y'all, that would be a sign of honor and some of y'all ladies would be offended, okay? Because you think, what in the world is this man putting toothpaste on my toothbrush for? That's a sign of morning breath or something. What is going on here? But for this particular family, uh, the, the, the woman, the wife, knows her husband well enough that this is a sign of honor that he saw first in his father, and his father saw in his father and there has now been a pattern of honor in the men in this home. And it's something that hopefully will continue. And it's beautiful to see and it's awesome to hear about. Romans 12.10, Paul says this in terms of honor. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. And the truth is, you may be thinking this question right now, and it'd be a fair question to think. How can you honor someone who is living in a dishonorable way? Maybe you're thinking, maybe it's spouse, right? So in that particular instance of a, of a man who has now been married for some time, coming home and not really lacking honor towards his bride. I worked in a space in a field that was predominantly female. It was the medical field and I would help other nurses and ladies and we would be helping residents and making sure we can all get our work done together. And I would hear story after story from some women of how, how their husband, he's no good. He's just rah, 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 rah and he ain't got nothing, and I don't know, and I don't know what he's doing, and, and I don't know, and they're just, they keep going on. And sometimes, even as a young man, I just wanted to think to myself, have you been honoring him since day one? Because so sometimes, when we show dishonor to someone, it just brings more dishonor in their life. Sometimes we, we can show dishonor to people and disdain to people and it almost fuels their dishonorable fire. And as a young man, I, I was never brave enough to say it to a woman in her 40s, 50s, you know, when, when I'm hearing it. But I thought to myself, I wonder if you're giving him honor so that he could see what honor looks like. And if I was with a man, I would have been saying the same thing. Because what can happen is we can find ourselves constantly bickering and telling people over and over again all that they are not. We can remind them of their failures and their shortcomings, reminding them of all the ways in which they have lived dishonorably, but many times our dishonorable treatment of others tears them down and can inhibit their future potential. 
But when you ascribe honor to someone and you have a culture of honor within your heart, what can happen is those who were at one time dishonorable due to their relationship with you and the Holy Spirit working through you in their life can all of a sudden catch honor. They catch on to it. And the Holy Spirit illuminates their eyes and they say, what's so different about this person? The way this person treats me, I'm not deserving of, of this type of treatment. Oh yes, they're treating me with honor and all of a sudden a dishonorable person can be convicted and led to repentance to become an honorable person. But when you ascribe honor to someone and you have a culture of honor within your heart, what can happen is those who are at one time dishonorable due to their relationship with you over time, they can become honorable. Honor can rub off on one another. Honor can rub off on people. Let me share a story. When, when I was just 18 years old, you may have heard this before, I was a brand new Christian, but to many, I was still a dishonorable young man due to my past. A family took me in, they didn't ask about all of my dishonorable conduct over the last 18 years of my life. They simply took me in. I got to experience a culture of honor and over time this, what some would say, dishonorable young man quickly became honorable due to experiencing a culture of honor firsthand within a home. When we have a culture of honor in our hearts, it can make a huge difference in the lives around us. Now, in particular, the Bible gives us certain emphasis on who we are to honor. And so I wanna go over those three just a little bit here. The first one we know we are to honor is God. God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. We honor God with our worship. We honor God with our body. We honor God with our lifestyle. And we honor God with our income, with our wealth. We know we are to honor God. Secondly, the Bible speaks exclusively of children honoring your parents. We are to honor our parents. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you, Exodus 20, 12. And parents, we can make it easier for our children in this area by the culture within our home or we can make it more difficult for them to honor us. And I'll just share a quick sidebar here. Sometimes confessing your dishonorable past to your children or something dishonorable that you have done, maybe towards them even, some things that you have said, sometimes doing that can cause them to honor you more, not less. Some of the greatest words in our household are the two words, I'm sorry, in owning that sin, whether it's past or present, I'm sorry. We are to honor our parents and children. Honestly, if you won't honor your parents, and our generation needs to hear this, when you grow up and get a career, it's highly unlikely that you will just naturally honor your boss. 
okay? First, we must honor our parents. And then honor seems to flow from there. First God, then our parents, and then it flows from there. Some of you may even be sharing, well, my dad isn't in my life or my mom isn't in my life. My parents aren't in my life. First, I would say, whoever raised you, that would apply to you. Secondly, I would say, if your parents are still living, and I'll give you a story, you can still honor them even from afar. Uh, I've met my father twice. I was just in his neck of the woods the other month. And I reached out, and he, hoping that maybe he would want to grab lunch with me. And he didn't want to grab lunch, and I'm not here to dishonor him for the, the decision that he made, but for whatever reason, he just didn't want to grab lunch with his son. And the only thing I really just wanted to share with him, and I've shared this with him, I think around last year sometime, is, Dad, I want you to know I honor you. I honor you. You may not want to be around me. You may not want to have a relationship with me at this time for a plethora of reasons. I'm okay with that. But I want you to know I honor you. How do I honor you? I want to honor you with my lifestyle. I want to honor you by the way in which I live. So children, even children who are here in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and your parents may still be far from you and you may not have a tight relationship with them, you can still honor your parents even if the relationship has seemed to be severed for a variety of reasons. Honor is meant for our parents as well. Thirdly, and this is a big one in our culture today, the Bible speaks explicitly of honoring authority. We are to honor authority. Let everyone, Romans 13, and really you can go and probably read the first seven verses of Romans 13, but let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. We are called to honor our authorities. Now listen to me here. We may not agree with all of their policies, all right? But we honor the people who are in authority in our nation. We honor our first responders. We honor our police officers. We honor our soldiers. And just a quick note, if you see a, a guy or a gal, you know, in one of those army hats or marine hats or navy hats, it would do you well to go up to them and to shake their hand and to simply say, thank you for your service. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of respect for those people were in one time a position of authority for our freedom. Why does this all matter? But why does having a culture of honor matter? I wanna read verse five as well in Mark chapter six. So let's go back to Mark six. Let's look at verse four again, and then verse five, what follows it? Verse four says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his home. And then verse six here, in Nazareth, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He could not do any miracles there. The text doesn't say that Jesus would not do any miracles in his hometown. It says that he could not 
do any miracles in his hometown. And, and I don't want to pretend to understand all of the implications to that text, but, but could it be that a lack of honor can limit what God longs to do in your life? Could it be that a lack of honor can limit what God longs to do in your life? Could I be missing the hand of God in my life right now because I'm struggling to believe and honor who he is? God, why does it feel like my prayers are being hindered? Could it be that there is a direct link to honor, first to God, then to others? Because we really truly can't honor others if we first and foremost don't honor God. A culture of honor can change things drastically in our hearts and in our lives and in our church. A lack of honor could be causing a severe spiritual disruption in your life and you might not even know it, friend. You may chalk it up to this is just the way it is, I guess. I pray that a culture of honor would be apparent in our hearts, in our homes, and in our communities, and in our church. And may it not simply be lip service because Jesus quoted to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Matthew 15, 8, the words of Isaiah, when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let that not be us. In Romans 12, 10, that verse that we looked at in the NIV, in the ESV, it actually says, seek to outdo one another in showing honor outdo one another in showing honor. May that be a sport that we take up in this next season. Let's strive to have a culture church within our hearts first, home next, then church that goes above and beyond and seeks to outdo one another in showing honor. May our hearts honor God. May our homes honor God and one another. May they be a refuge of honor, our homes. May we be lights in our community, sharing honor to our neighbors and those who are in authority over us. And may our church be an example of honor for God and people, and may it come from all generations. May our identity be shaped by a culture of honor to God and honor to others. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you. I thank you, God, uh, first and foremost for your word. First and foremost that you have placed your spirit within your people and you have given all people a thumbprint that we have been created in the image of God, the likeness of God. And therefore, God, we are called to honor you and we are called to honor others above ourselves, even outdoing others in honor. So Father, teach us first in our hearts what that looks like. Teach us relationally what that looks like as husbands and wives, as children, sons and daughters, as grandparents. Teach us, Father, what it looks like to honor others and have a culture of honor in our hearts, in our homes, and in this church. 
so that we may be a light in the community that you have placed us in. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we honor you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, may this worship be pleasing to your ears. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. My hope is in the Lord. That is our hymn. We're going to sing three verse standing. So let's rise.